Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to Historical True Crime, the podcast where we take a look back at history's darkest crimes and criminals. I'm your host, Lizzie, and today is episode 51. We're going to be traveling back to the 17th century and we're going to be in Italy. Now, if you've listened to all 51 episodes, you might have noticed that I'm a little bit interested in poison, or maybe it's women killers, because poison has been called the women's weapon. And today's episode is on someone who's been called the queen of poison. We're covering Julia Tafana. Julia Tafana was a professional poisoner in the 17th century who marketed her special recipes to wives who wished to murder their husbands. Once she was apprehended, Tafana estimated that she was responsible for having supplied the poison in approximately 600 deaths, making her one of history's most prolific assassins. She allegedly even learned how to produce her own tasteless, untraceable poison, which she secretly concealed in cosmetic bottles. Going back to the 1600s in Italy and and a lot of other places, men had unrestricted authority and women frequently experienced unimaginable cruelty. They had no social standing and few options to ever improve their circumstances. Basically, they had three choices, get married and hope their husbands would treat them nicely, stay single and rely on sex work to make ends meet, or become widows. Women were treated as property from the beginning of their life, first being held by their fathers and then being auctioned off like objects to whatever spouse offered the most advantages. They had to prepare meals, tidy the house, and keep having children. In the 17th century, giving birth was far riskier and deaths from difficulties during delivery, they weren't unusual. In addition, there'd be zero consequences for a man who beat, raped, or had an affair on his wife. Since divorce was not an option, women had to choose between living out their lives in agony or taking action. Women in abusive relationships who couldn't turn to the court for support tended to favor that third option, which was also preferred by the wealthier class. Fortunately for them, a thriving criminal underworld existed in 17th century Rome and offered them the services required to make them a widow. Alchemists, apothecaries, and black magic specialists comprised this subterranean community, which was also present in other major European cities. In actuality, these specialists didn't so much practice the black arts as they did find solutions to issues that the priests or doctors of the day couldn't or wouldn't address, like performing abortions. This brings us to Julia Tafana. She's thought to have been born in Sicily in 1620, although it is unverified. Tafania D'Amato was the name of her mother, 
and she was put to death in 1633 as a result of the allegation that she had killed her husband. Though neither proved nor refuted, there is speculation that she poisoned him. It's astonishing that the historical record is so quiet regarding much of Julia Tafana's background, given the extent of her crimes and her long history of killing a lot of people. The woman's early years, upbringing and youth, as well as the majority of her life, are simply largely unknown. Though there are no surviving paintings of her, she was rumored to have been exceedingly beautiful, just like her mother, Tefania. According to Jones for Women's Republic, Tefana eventually learned how to make her own products while working in apothecaries as she grew older. It's unknown if Aqua Tefana, which is the recipe she'd become famous for, was a recipe that Julia inherited from her mother or one that she came up with on her own. Belladonna, a popular cosmetic component of the time, was combined with arsenic, lead, and other poisons. Aquatofana was brilliant because it was flavorless, colorless, and lethal enough to commit a murder with only a few drops. The best way to use the poison was to smuggle it into food or beverages, but the poison could take a while to do its damage. Weariness and weakness were felt after the first dose. The second dose resulted in vomiting, diarrhea, severe thirst, and stomach aches. Death would inevitably follow a third or fourth dose. The victim's gradual decline was to simulate disease, as the dosage was being divided out over time, which was plausible given that viruses or illnesses could easily kill someone at any time during this time period. It also gave the victim enough time and competency to draft a will as a last-ditch effort to secure the care and stability of his soon-to-be widow. It didn't take long before Julia and her own daughter and a few other staff people to establish their own cosmetics counter. They offered premium goods and genuine cosmetics, but Tafana would sell her Aqua Tafana as a facial serum to conceal it from view in order to cover her tracks. Now, Belladonna was so widely used in cosmetics that marketing under that name wouldn't seem dishonest or even suspicious. A little glass container with a picture of St. Nicholas on the front held her product. She even had labels with instructions on how to apply the medicine, one or two drops every night. Since Roman times, arsenic has been referred to as the king of poisons and the poison of kings. This poison made its victims throw up and develop diarrhea, which were signs which could be easily confused with many other common illnesses. It was capable of killing someone slowly or abruptly, even in extremely small doses. Arsenic could have been available in any apothecary shop as a rat poison or as a cosmetic to whiten the skin, making it an almost ideal murder weapon for years. Julia presumably made the decision to include arsenic in her mixture for that reason, and women who purchased aquatafana with the intention of killing their husbands could always argue it was only a cosmetic, a valid defense during the Renaissance. Belladonna was another essential component of Julia's poison. Even though the plant is one of the most deadly in the world, the word itself means beautiful lady in Italian. Nevertheless, Renaissance ladies extracted the berry's liquid and turned it into a cosmetic. 
To get the belladonna to dilate the pupils in their eyes, women would put drops in. The negative consequences, which included elevated heart rates, hazy eyesight, and even blindness, they decided were well worth it for the beauty effect. However, the belladonna and arsenic in Julia's concoction would kill someone. No surprise, the fruit of belladonna was referred to as the devil's berries. But Julia was extremely picky about the people she would let buy aqua tofana. The potential buyer would have to submit to a background check and have a reliable reference. Although she did sell to a few males, the majority of her customers were battered wives who wanted to kill their husbands. If their previous business ties were discovered, former clients who had committed murder while utilizing Julia's toxin ran as much of a risk as Julia herself. As a result, they had every reason to only recommend those whose judgment they could put their whole trust in. After buying the poison, future killers received instructions on how to behave. They had to seek an autopsy in order to portray the ideal bereaved woman. Even after death, the poison was undetectable, so this was really just a ruse to alleviate any remaining doubt. As Chambers Journal, a publication, wrote in 1890 of the poison, quote, To save her fair fame, the wife would demand a post-mortem examination. Result? Nothing. Except that the woman was able to pose as a slandered innocent, and then it would be remembered that her husband died without either pain, inflammation, fever, or spasms. If, after this, the woman within a year or two formed a new connection, nobody could blame her. Julia quickly won over many devoted followers who valued her service, and she quickly rose to the status of a messiah for disgruntled wives, earning her the nickname Queen of Poison. Julia is believed to have constructed a sophisticated underground network as her company expanded to supply aquatofauna. Eventually, nearly 200 people would be involved in the network, including women, astrologers, alchemists, con artists, witches, dubious apothecaries, undercover abortionists, and even some priests from the church. The majority of accounts claim that Julia's operation in 17th century Italy successfully deceived authorities for years, and without one bowl of soup, she might have remained unknown for all time. According to McKennett, for all that's interesting, legend says that around 1650, a woman gave her husband a bowl of soup that had been flavored with a bit of aqua tofana. But before her husband could take one spoonful, she changed her mind and pleaded with him not to eat it. The man became suspicious and verbally attacked his wife until she admitted to poisoning his food. When further questioned by authorities, she confessed. To buying aqua tofana from Julia. People adored Julia, especially the women she assisted, both wealthy and poor, and she would learn of her warrant before police arrived and was given sanctuary by a nearby church until a rumor spread that she had tainted the city's water supply. So the government acted and seized her and tortured her horribly. After enduring horrendous torture, Julia would confess to orchestrating one of the largest murder schemes in history. 
using and selling her poison to kill as many as 600 men between the years of 1633 and 1651 alone. Finally, as the story goes, Julia, her daughter, and three of her assistants were all put to death in Rome's Campo di Fiori in 1659. Now, the women of higher class who were associated with Julia were either imprisoned or spared punishment entirely by claiming they were unaware that their cosmetics were poison. But nearly 40 of Julia's lower class clients were also put to death. Julia's reign of terror, according to some tales, lasted much longer than this, and that she was captured, tortured, and killed somewhere closer to 1709. Long after Julia's passing, her legacy in poison persisted. Amadeus Mozart, a composer, believed he had been poisoned after becoming critically ill in 1791. He said, quote, I feel definitely that I will not last much longer. I'm sure that I have been poisoned. I cannot rid myself of this idea. Someone has given me aqua tofana and calculated the precise time of my death. According to Bacalar for the New York Times, the first of several possible explanations for the composer's untimely death at the height of his career was poisoning. Many individuals were present when he died, but the majority only wrote down their memories sometime later. His sister-in-law recalled that Mozart had a high fever, for which the attending physician prescribed cold compress, and that his body was so bloated that he was unable to turn over in bed. He fell asleep and passed away early on December 5th. The cause of death was listed as fever and rash, which were regarded as symptoms rather than an illness, even in the 18th century. Over the years, a variety of causes have been proposed, including syphilis, the side effects of mercury treatment, rheumatic fever, vasculitis that caused renal failure, infection from a bloodletting technique, and trichinosis from eating undercooked pork chops. While the precise cause of Mozart's premature death is still unknown, some have speculated that aqua tofana may have played a role. However, general consensus is that he didn't suffer from poisoning, much less from Julia's specific concoction. Due to the fact that Julia's exact recipe was never written down, this would have been difficult to verify anyway. A combination of arsenic, lead, and belladonna, which was frequently used in cosmetics during the 17th century, is thought to have been what she used. There just isn't a lot of information available about Julia. Like I mentioned, there are no photos or even precise records that fully recount her story. She remains to this day as undetectable as her aqua tofana. And that brings us to the end of a bit of a shorter, but I hope still very interesting episode of Historical True Crime. We hope you've enjoyed it. If you did, please remember to review, rate, subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you have any feedback for us or a suggestion of something you'd like us to cover in an upcoming episode, you can reach us at historicaltruecrimepod at gmail.com or on Instagram at historicaltruecrimepod but we'll see you next week for another dark and notorious case from history. We'll see you then.